You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. Beginning your journey with the infinite banking process. Today, we're talking to someone who's recently started that journey, but has been exposed to it for a little while and learning about it from a different vantage point, which is going to be a fun conversation to have. I'm joined with two of my amazing teammates today. Of course, I've got my co-host, Ver McCarty, and our guest today is Jennifer Wolf, one of our teammates who helps people embrace this concept by helping them get their applications done and submitted. She's an absolute ninja at it, affectionately known as Niffer on the team. And we're excited to have this conversation happening today because I think you're going to bring a really unique experience to how this journey showed up for you, getting started with the process of infinite banking and how you know you've been learning it over over time, and you've really kind of been, I guess, you know, you've been in the fire of getting people up and running with applications and learning, you know, the back end of how this whole kind of insurance realm works. And so I think if anything, I would say a lot of that fire is probably created by me and some of it by Vern, because the people that we work with are blessed to have you help them get their applications up and running. And hopefully you won't say anything negative about Vern or I today, but if it happens, we'll understand because we do create a little bit of chaos in your life, which I'm very, I'm very aware of. So thanks for being with us today and joining us on the podcast. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. It's very exciting for me to actually uh, put my foot in the water, shall we say. So yeah, thanks for having me today. Now, are you putting your foot in the water because of all the fire that I just created or is it? (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Cool enough. Cool enough. It's going to be a hot day. (laughs) Well, I'd like to begin. And I think a great way to start a conversation like this is to maybe just share with the listeners how you began discovering the concept of infinite banking, because it's a bit of a different track than what most people go down who, who, who reach out to us or are listeners of the podcast. Yeah, mine almost started pretty well the same. I ended up attending a boot camp two or three years ago, honestly. And I've always been on the so-called wheel, right? get your head above water and then you get right back down, get your head above water and you get right back down. So it's, I just got so tired of living that lifestyle. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. There's uh, like, there's gotta be something out there. And so I had heard about a boot camp for infinite banking and definitely was interested in doing so, but just didn't have the capabilities at that time to start a policy. But it had always been in the back of my mind of like what I want to do. Definitely need to get on on that train and <laughs> maybe just go slowly upward and never come back down again. So that is in my goal because we kind of learn from our parents, right? Like you then kind of go through that whole cyclical journey and then you just learn how to kind of get right on that same roller coaster. And you really have to take out a box to try and get yourself off. So I'd had that in my mind for a long time. I had been a dance teacher for 27 years. And as you as you probably well know, the arts doesn't pay overly well. <laughs> so, you know, still struggling, like doing okay after a bad amount of time, but still, you know, doing the struggling day to day. And like I said, just looking for a better way. So when COVID hit and I lost my teaching job, I decided to go back to school. 
So I ended up going to school for health unit clerk and a medical like assistant for office work because especially during COVID, I knew that there was going to be a need for healthcare workers. And I thought, okay, well, that's going to be a solid job. It's going to have benefits, which I never had before. And, you know, just really looking at what I wanted long-term. I wanted to have like a possible pension that the industry can sometimes get a pension with that. So, you know, we're getting up in the age. So it's time to like really make sure that those things are taken care of, especially since I am single. So I look after my brother who is mentally challenged. So I have to look out for his welfare and my dad is getting up there in age. So I'm looking after his welfare and just making sure that the family is taken care of. So that said, I was just about finishing school, applying for jobs all over the place, especially since it was still within the first year of COVID. And I stumbled up upon a job posting for Center Financial. And I had already had a meeting with Jason Wong. So I, I knew all about this. And I was like, that is a company that I want to be involved in. Whether or not I, like, I would have washed dishes. I would have, like, <laughs> you know, done anything. Just answered phones. I would have been the you know, the fool in the office, like juggling whatever people needed me to do. That's what I was going to do because I just, I had felt so strongly that this was the right company, that type of company that I wanted to work with. And that being said, the application said that I had to be a life licensed associate in order to work. And I said, well, I just did some schooling, so I don't mind learning something new at all. And I was fortunate to, to get my foot in the door. So I was able to interview well, I guess. <laughs> so I was lucky enough to accept the job application, the job opportunity. And, and then I started my journey with, with the insurance, doing the LLQP. And it's not an easy, not an easy course to get through. So that definitely had some challenges. And then while once I've actually accomplished that, then actually learning the job is have a lot of nooks and crannies. So you gotta, you're constantly learning day for day for day, even though you're doing very similar work every day. But I'm absolutely just loving it. And I love that there is a very positive camaraderie with every single team member. We all enjoy working with everybody. And that is a very rare rare thing and a blessing actually so super super proud to be a part of it yeah that's really good and if we're well that's why we love you because we know that you you know you're willing to do whatever it takes even if that's just doing a little bit of juggling whatever and that's sometimes how the day feels isn't it you're always kind of juggling something right and uh, yeah. I just wanted to comment on that just because you shared that you had a meeting with Jason. And so you got a little bit of a sense of how the process worked. You learned a little bit more about the company. And then you and I actually have a pretty unique uh, story in terms of how we met. You, you surprised me one day after we, we first met and then, and then you surprised me. Can you talk a little bit about quickly how you and I met? Or do you remember? <laughs> you don't remember? I, uh, no. Well, you said you met with Jason. Fresh my memory. Yeah. But you, yeah. you also met you also met with me. 
Yeah, you are actually one of my coaches and advisors. Right, but Which... we, we met mm -hmm. and we had a conversation when you were telling me about the school. I yeah. didn't know that you were doing the LLQP and I didn't know that you were interviewing with Ascendant Financial either. And then one day <laughs> we jumped on a Zoom call and I hadn't yeah. seen you for three or four months and I was on a call with one of our other colleagues and you were there and I'm looking at you going, well, this is our new teammate, Jennifer, and she's learning and da, da, da. And I was looking at you going, I know this girl. Like, how do I know this lady? Like, I know, how do I know her? And then all of a sudden you're like, hi, Bert. And I was just like, oh, now I know how I know you. We've, we've met before. I'm like, wow, you're, you're on our team now. This is amazing. So I just want to say hats off to you because uh, you, to your point, the, the LQP program is not easy. Uh, learning how this process works, not easy. Going through life insurance applications, I haven't touched one in about three years and I thank my lucky stars every single day because of good people like you who take care of it, who are much better at it than me. I tell my clients, I say, you do not want to hear me fumble through a life insurance application. Let me connect you with Jennifer. She will take good care of you. But, uh, but you just did whatever it took and, and you not only did you start implementing the process, but you actually became a team member on Ascendant Financial. And uh, I just, I'm super, super pumped for you and I'm glad that you're a part of the team. Well, thanks, Vern. Yeah, now that, that it's true. Yeah, I finally got another meeting to try and get myself put forward with the policy. And then, yeah, about two weeks later, I found the job application. So, yeah, it was that that is how we first met. Yeah, for sure. It's that. It's that. The, the uh, dominoes that that tumble in our life and and take us to very interesting places and and now I mean you've been at this work I mean it's still I mean relatively new but the volume okay. of activity that you have to go through on a daily basis is pretty high so you get pretty proficient at what you do and that's why I say you're a ninja at this process at helping you know helping people through the application stage and I think it's really important that you know you, you as an active learner one of the things I really appreciate about you and you're just happy to gobble up information. And so I think there's, you know, there's like these little challenges that we get presented on a daily basis, you know, even in the work we're doing. So the, the kind of back end aspect <laughs> of, you know, up here on, you know, yeah. here on the podcast, it's all front stage and, you know, the kind of, I guess the dog and pony show, if you want to call it, but we, you know, we have a lot of fun. We get to talk about the concept, talk about our, our experiences with Nelson yeah. and, and get on the high level stuff. Every now and again, we do get into some of the weeds because we get comments about people who want us to get into the weeds a little bit. But there's a whole other aspect of what happens on the back end for people who are now embracing the concept. They're ready to get started. They've 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 learned. They've been watching videos and webinars and and they've read the book and they're finally ready to take that next step. And then boom, you know, they get handed off to incredible teammates like yourself and others that that work at the company to facilitate that that application process. When, when the advisors kind of, they're not finished, but there, there's a gap between, okay, you've been working with the advisor. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to get, you know, some help with the client, you know, services team. You're going to get some client success activity to get that application up and running. And then boom, you get an approval, you get a policy. And then it's kind of back to the advisor to, to help them out and, and get the real activity really starts after that time frame. But there's a lot that happens in that middle chunk. And we don't talk about it a whole heck of a lot. So I think it'd be fun maybe to just share a little bit of that experience with our listeners mm -hmm. And, you know, so, you know, at present I had a very busy week. So there's a, there's a bunch of applications coming in for you to work on next week, just so you know. And so some folks, maybe they'll even be watching this you know, podcast and they're about to go through their, their beginning application. Maybe they've never done one before. What are some of the things that, you know, people need to be kind of ready for and prepared for when they step on that call and they hop onto a Zoom, they see your 
smiling, happy face, and you're ready to, because you know, and you're excited that you get to help them embrace the, the concept that you love. What are Absolutely. some things that they need to kind of be prepared for when they hop on that call? Yeah. So normally, right before the application, you'll get an email sent out to you uh, a list of items that, that will probably be out within that application. That is incredibly helpful to at least read through and have kind of notes in the back of your mind. It's not something that needs to actually be fully written out or anything like that, but it will be a good selection of what kind of questions are going to be answered within that application process. Just in general terms, there's going to be a lot of personal information and like address and workplace and finances, insurance policies you already include, already own. And but basically one of the most um, kind of important parts of the application is actually a lot of medical information, which a lot of people, including myself, when I just did a, another recent application, I was like, oh, when did I have that? <laughs> and how long did that last? And what was my treatment for it? Like, it really does get to the more information you can provide the easier the process is going to be for the underwriter. So, and therefore the approval of your policy can be done either in a faster momentum or it can extend <laughs> the length of having to get that policy approved. And maybe a few more hurdles that we have to do in order to get all the information that the underwriter needs in order to make that one. Um, decision in regards to what is available to you in regards to insurability purposes, right? Which is what we're all looking for and enable to provide ourselves with the opportunity of doing IPC. So with the health questionnaire, I think that the number one thing that people need to, to think about is even if you've had the, a broken foot 20 years ago, you want to disclose both things. It doesn't bother you anymore. The treatment's done. You're back to normal. You're running on the treadmill. But the non-disclosure actually hurts you more than, than if you have a broken foot at this time. That makes sense. So, and people tend to think, well, I, I just don't have that anymore. It's not a big deal. But if you've ever had a diagnosis of something, that's more important to the insurance underwriter to have that disclosure than to either be fully recovered or have the issue resolved or, uh, you know, in, in treatment for something or that, you know, that's probably the most important thing. And people tend to sometimes think that it's not a big deal and it's not a big deal. So just to close it. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> so those are, those are some of the key points anyway. Well, and I, yeah, I think about your, you know, the, again, the day-to-day -day activity and the speed of applications. We do a lot of applications. It takes, you know, we, we book about an hour to get them done. Some take a little bit longer, but a lot of them probably get done in, in less time than that, especially when we're doing kids kids' plans. But then it's the approval time frames, you know. So a lot of times people will ask us, okay, well, you know, what can I expect? How long is it going to take to get things done? And so there's, you know, first there's learning about the concept, making the decision that you're going to get started. Then there's booking an app in the your calendar, right? So how long does it take you to actually 
get the application done as far as booked in your calendar, and then it gets submitted to the yeah. life company. Now it's really in their hands. Now we see things kind of all over the map, but you know, in your experience, yeah. maybe just share a little bit as far as, you know, maybe what's the fastest policy you've seen approved and then what's the longest one that you've had to deal with and, and a little bit as to why. Okay. Well, I think the fastest policy was 12 hours. Woo. Getting approval. And that can be done. Yeah, exactly. We want all of them. That's usually done through an automated underwriter, right? If there it's an AI program that kind of if there's really nothing that causes a red flag to show up at all, then it just kind of goes through all of these financials and you know, it has its own process that it goes through and then it just loop, there you go. At the proof. So the most amount of information that you can provide for all aspects, including insurance history and financials, as close to um, the number as possible. It doesn't need to be the exact G4 number <laughs> you have on your taxes, but a, a, a pretty close amount. And, but the longest, I, I think I've gone probably a good five months just in underwriting processes. And normally you got to ask for extensions. You've got to reopen the case because it usually closes after 90 days. Uh, so there's, there's other approvals and stuff like that. Then you have to sign extra health certificates to make sure that, you know, when you applied five months ago, has anything happened to you within that time frame? And you have to be able to prove that and basically write a statement that nothing has changed. And I've also had an instance where somebody had an approval, but they were in an accident. And so there it became a postponement, not a decline, but they actually couldn't get approval until they knew that the person was completely okay after the accident, because we all know you have an accident, sometimes injuries or especially like a concussion or something like that can sometimes not show for several months after the time frame. So, you know, we've had kind of run of the gamut all the way through. Yeah. And sometimes I happen to know, at least I had that experience as well. Never. I think we're probably talking about maybe the same one. But yeah, it's really unfortunate, right? Because when you're, you're you're talking to clients, they're excited to get started, and and you know the insurance application process is kind of, for lack of better terms, that's the work that you got to put in to get the process started, get a policy in place. Once you're approved, hey, we got a green light, we can move forward. But sometimes when you're dealing with clients, and you probably run into this more than I do, because or more than maybe Rich does, because we're not going through the medical information as much. I often ask my clients to say, Hey, is there any medical stuff that you're dealing with? Any medications, anything that you think from your history that might cause a red flag or delays or prevent you from getting a policy approved? And they go, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm all good, man. You know, I'm totally fully healthy. And because in their mind, they went to see their doctor, you know, they had like a heart palpitation or something. The doctor says, Oh yeah, no worries. You're going to be fine. It's all good. Nothing to worry about. And then maybe something like that causes a problem in their underwriting that causes either a delay or they might have to go back and see their doctor or there's some kind of postponement or they have a pending test that they were supposed to go do, which again, it's minor, it's no big deal, yeah. but they're not going to issue a policy when there's some kind of a question mark for lack of better terms. And we're trying to help clients understand that that's actually for your best good. Because if we're going to get a policy in place in a company, a business that we co-own as policyholders, uh -huh. that business has a, a duty 
to make sure that they protect the risk of that business, i.e. your interest, and they generate a profit. If they just start going all willy-nilly handing out legally binding contracts that say that they have to pay millions of dollars potentially if, God forbid, you pass away or get sick or whatever, your doctor's not the one writing the check. Of course your doctor's going to say, yeah, no problem, you're fine, because you are. But that doesn't mean the life insurance company is going to approve you. So have you ever run into those kinds of situations where you have to have that kind of conversation and help kind of educate the client and help them understand that we're dealing with risk management here? Yeah, the the underwriters really only have one shot, right? They have to take all of the information for you specifically of what their risk is on your life, basically, because they're going to be paying out that policy at some point. Right. If they want to make sure that they're they have as much information as possible to make that decision for the for the best interest of the company. Because they are there to pay out money, right? Everybody is going to get a payout at some and they need to have that risk assessment done for the benefit of the company and therefore everybody who is a policy owner of that company. Because we usually deal with a mutually owned company. So therefore all the policy owners have are gaining from that experience from the underwriter. So if there are additional questions, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get approved. It just means that they have to do more work to ensure that what they are insuring you for is is acceptable with the type of policy that you're putting together. That's all. You know, yeah. mentioning yeah. that one shot, I in my back of my head, I'm hearing like an Eminem song start to play. And I'm thinking about the underwriters like playing that. And you've got one shot to kind of get this policy approved. <laughs> but if if you, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, you mentioned okay, opportunity. 12 hours <laughs> and then, you know, five months as a, as a timeline. And it really can vary. But I think for the most part, probably on average, you know, we're looking at about a three to four week process for most people, give or take. And you, you know, the ones that are the, you know, I guess the outliers where it takes a little bit longer, there's usually some consistent things that cause that. And, and I know for my, my stake, it's been often like a larger case where a person's putting in, let's say, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or more in premium, there might be some more underwriting. Now we're probably getting into a corporate situation and maybe there's a partnership or multiple companies. And so there's a little bit of extra paperwork, you know, to submit, you got to get corporate, you know, articles of incorporation, certificate, of the incorporation, verify who the signing authorities are. Like there's some extra, you know, stuff there that's required all very important because it's, again, we're talking about legally binding contracts here. And then the other thing is there's something referred to as the dreaded APS. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know Vern, you've experienced this and, you know, Niffer, you and I've had a few conversations about the APS now and again. And so just help people understand maybe what is an APS and how does that play a role in, in the underwriter's decision-making, obviously important, but, but in the time frame, how does it maybe expand the time frame a bit? Oh, the APS. How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay. So the APS is the intended position statement for what we commonly know as the doctor's report, right? So say there was disclosure of, say, diabetes in a family member, not necessarily yourself, but in, you know, say a parent or a brother or sister. Uh, but maybe you've had some blood sugar levels that haven't been, you know, constant for 
you know, the last couple of months. And so you're waiting for a couple extra blood tests just to verify that your blood sugars are good and you're not at risk of having ICD at that time. So, you know, an underwriter is going to take that information and go, oh, we need a little bit more than just we've had a couple blood tests, but then everything's been okay. So they're going to want a little bit more history. They're going to ask for an ATS at that point. So they're, they actually reach out to a third-party service and the underwriter will reach out to them. And then that, that third party, it's going to reach out to the doctor specifically. So there's nothing that you particularly can do as a client who's applying other than basically notifying your doctor of, hey, I'm applying for an insurance policy requested a uh, attending physician statement, just so you know if, if you could get that done. Just know that it's coming, and then I would appreciate it if you get that done. That's basically all you could do in the entire process. But we all know how the healthcare system is working right now, and sometimes doctors have the time, and sometimes they really don't. So sometimes it gets left on the desk and might be underneath you know, 30 other pieces of paper that they have to get through that day. So sometimes that, that little phone call can actually be helpful to try and get that input work. So with that, the APS is basically just a little bit more broader spectrum so that the underwriter understands what, the, what that entire medical history of that, either that specific issue or they may want like a full history depending on what the severity of the condition or issue is that is come by, come by yourself. So um, then the doctor sends it back to the underwriter and the underwriter makes the decision based on the information that they have been provided for on the APS. Sometimes they have to go back for additional information because not every doctor is, uh, I'm not going to say not forthcoming, but maybe they're not aware as to like what the specific details the underwriter is actually looking for. So something might be missed and there's still questions from the underwriter. So it could actually take two or three times going back to a doctor to get the information that they're like asking for in the first place. So that is where really some of our extended timeframes can come into play. It's kind, and, uh, kind of like the game of telephone, right only they use a fax machine. <laughs> and let me tell you, there are fax machines still out there working. So. <laughs> fax machines and wedding signatures are two things that life insurance companies are big fans of for whatever reason. Now, I know Rich and I have probably had to have these conversations, but imagine trying to communicate that to the client who really has no idea or understanding, you know, how this underwriting process works and it's not like I'm calling the doctor and being like, hey, can we get that medical record? Like, it doesn't work that way. There's like chains of command or there's different people that that's going through. Like you said, Rich, the telephone game. So Canadian doctors who are watching right now, please take your hands out from underneath your butt. I often joke with my clients sometimes and say, you know, could you give your doctor a call? Because sometimes doctors have a tendency to sit on their hands for some reason and not get these things done. But I do respect that. I get that they're they're busy. But it's super important, right, to, to move the ball along and down the field because the, the client is, you know, trying to protect their family and 
and get their uh, their risk assessment completed, right? So that's a, that's a big piece of it. So yeah, giving the doctor a call is, is a big deal. And I also just want to make another quick point, just in case anyone heard something and there's a miscommunication. I know that you weren't saying this at all, Nifer. I just want to make people aware that I personally have many clients who are currently type one and type two diabetics who are actually insured. So not to freak anybody out, if, if you are a diabetic or pre-diabetic, it does not mean that you're not insurable. We need to go through the underwriting process to, uh, to confirm all that. So don't let that t- discourage you at all. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that there's really, I mean, there probably are, are specific circumstances where you'll be declined if you have one condition, but usually most conditions are quite minor. And if you have one thing, then that doesn't really stop you from being able to be insured. If you have multiple issues or conditions that you're dealing with, it will make it harder and therefore the process will be longer for sure. But is it a guaranteed decline? Not usually. So just be aware that it, it can take some time and it's worth taking the time to to get approved. Yeah, I love that. And it's worth it for a lot of reasons. And I think one of the reasons it's worth it, I, you really kind of shared it early on in our call when you talked about your journey. You, you attended a boot camp. You knew you wanted to implement this idea, Nelson's concept in your life the timing wasn't right. There was things going on, a lot of dance instruction, apparently. And uh, and then, <laughs> you know, and then there was this big, big, ugly thing kind of shut down the world for two years. COVID, right. That thing showed up and, you know, it created an opportunity for a, a game changing shift in your career path. And, you know, it, it, it led to education, but in the background, there was this thing that you knew you wanted to do, you know, the chance opportunity of looking, you know, on the job market to see a company that you already knew and were familiar with, be like, this is this is the path. This is what I do. And you, so you actively chase that down, and obviously we're very successful in doing yeah. so, and and will continue to be so as part of our team, which we're excited for. You've got a wonderful future here with us, and we just so blessed to have you. And I know I know Vern and I are because man, the amount of stuff that you do to help us out and our clients is just astronomical. So it's fantastic. But 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 going to you know the process now and starting with the company now getting getting a policy kind of getting started in the process i would imagine you've taken at least a policy loan at this point how easy was that process by the way it was like an email (laughs) 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 email money showed up in my bank it was great yeah it's it's actually very easy it does it's not instant like a debit card would be it does take a few days to process and you know you have to be (laughs) really proactive when it comes to that, knowing that it, it could take anywhere from two to five business days to actually get processed. And then another two to five business days to actually arrive in your bank account. So now most times it doesn't take anywhere near that kind of time frame, but it does happen when it's a very busy week. You know, there's maybe a lot of policies going through that week, you know, the insurance company only has so many people working there too. So we have to be well aware that if we're in a dire need of like money really quickly, you got to try and prepare yourself for that time frame in case it comes up to that time frame and just be happy that it comes before. Really. Uh, that's that's what I, I try to do is make sure that I've got it time. Not a day before my bill is due, but maybe, you know, two weeks before my bill is due or that I want to make the payment or that I want to purchase something. So, 
something know, to be aware of. We always do our best to, you know, I always tell clients, you know, plan two or three weeks ahead plan. I plan months ahead in some cases, right? When I know expenses are coming, but I just a quick story. I have to share this. I had a client of mine, God bless him. He messaged us, sent us an email yesterday and he said, Hey, Vern, do you mind uh, following up, checking in on this policy loan for me? I haven't heard anything back yet. I said, Oh geez. Okay. No problem. So he, he attached the policy loan request to the email and I looked at the date. This was on July 28th. And the date of the policy loan request was July 26th. And well, I literally scratched my head for a second. I was going, am I missing something here? Did he actually send it in on July 26th? Like, and I'm looking at the, and I, so I reach out to my assistant. I go, Hey, am I missing something here? Can we follow up with the client and see exactly like, what is it that he wants us to follow up on? Like, what is going on here? So then he, he, he did respond. He goes, oh yeah, well, you know, the last time I took a loan, it took like two days for the money to land in my bank account. And I said, well, that's great. And that's okay. exactly what I actually responded to him with is say, hey, you know, that's really awesome. I mean, we, you know, we obviously you tell clients, hey, sometimes we forget. You ever forget? Happens to me. He, he said, well, you know, the last time I got the loan in two days. And she says, no, that's really great. I'm glad to hear that you got it in two days. It's usually okay. seven to 10 business days is what it takes. Like I usually tell people if I request a loan today, probably going to land in my bank account by this time next week, but don't expect that, right? Expect that it's going to take longer. And if it shows up early, great. So I, I just thought I got a real kick out of it. Cause I was like, wow, man, like, <laughs> like two days, like that's, that's pretty quick turnaround. <laughs> it is. And it does happen quite often, but it, it really, sh you know, I can't, I can't really say to a client that should be the expectation because that's not what they're telling us. The expectation no. is. And so therefore, we wouldn't be doing our due diligence to, to tell all of our clients, well, you know, the last one I got was only two days. So I'm sure you'll have it by the end of today. It, it actually well, says 30 days in the contract, there. right? Yeah. Right, Rich, it actually says, it actually says 30 days in the contract and it says it could, they have, they, they do reserve the right to delay for even longer than that. I've never experienced that, but it, they, you know, right. it's uh, what is it? I under promise over deliver, right? So they, they actually are mandating seven to 10 businesses, but it says 30 days right in the contract. So. Right. Well, and yeah, it can vary it, it, by company too, a little bit. And so every company's got yeah, their own yeah. intricacies. They all, they all operate, they all doing the same thing, but how they do it or how they operate it and how they manage their people and their, their electronic, you know, things, big, especially big, big companies, you know, maybe they have a little bit more, how can I put it extra stuff that, that needs to happen and people that need to be managed to get the same job done. And so it could take a little bit longer. And then in addition, like you, you wonder how that company became so big, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I refer to it as big, dumb company syndrome is what I call it. Yeah. But with, you know, as an example, like you mentioned in, in the contract burn, you know, one of the things that's in, it's in the contract is that, you know, really what this is there for is for people who have really large policy, they're putting like maybe $5 million a year into the policy. You do that for a couple of years, you got a pretty substantial loan that you could take of, you know, oh, I don't know. You know, you, you make a request with a loan that says, hey, I'd like to get 10 or $15 million out. You're probably not getting that in two days. You know, that one's going to take a little yeah. bit longer. And so they do reserve the right to take a longer period of time. And, yeah. and that's in there for those kind of instances, because there's, you know, the most, most folks, they have policies that are, I mean, they're, we have, we do them in all kinds of sizes, right? You know, I was looking at one that was about $500 a month for somebody just getting started at, you know, about 33 years of age, you know, married, no kids yet. And they want to get started to recapture some debt. You know, I was talking to a gentleman who's 55 the other day. He's going to be doing one that's about, you know, about $900 a month. And he's got another one in this corporation, his business, they're going to start which will be larger, but on the personal side, he's got a different use case for that. So we do them in all kinds of sizes. <clears throat> and 
the more larger the loan request is, sometimes the longer it can take. So if you're doing something that's over, say, 50,000, you know, some life companies, yep. they may even they may even require to send that out as a check versus as a direct deposit. You know, I think as technology improves and everything, we're going to see more and more and larger and larger sizes of direct deposit happen over time. But for the average person, you know, most people aren't requesting loans for any specific purpose that are greater than 50,000 most times, or you might do a series of requests potentially for for a certain purpose. So it it all varies because everyone's got a different financial circumstance. But the key is it was simple. You've taken a loan, it landed pretty quickly, and you got to go put the money to work right away. And so the process of doing it was relatively simple. And what we're focused on in our education process at Ascendant and here at the Wealth of Base podcast is to help people understand the principles of what you're doing. Because if we understand what we what our intention is, what we want to do, then we'll know how to go about doing it. The little, hey, if it takes an extra day for this or two days for that, a little bit longer for the application to get approved, a little bit longer for the loan to come in. These things are really insignificant in the big scheme of your life and, and the generations of people that come after you that are going to be positively impacted by your decision of getting started. Well, and I do have to kind of make a caveat there. Like, yes, I'm implementing the process of becoming my own banker, but even I still need to meet with the coach to design the actual process of how I'm going to get that from point A to point B, you know, and then from point B to point C, like where, how do I use it for this particular person and then once I've achieved that purpose how do I use it for a different type of person you know like there's there's still coaching that I I will need Vern we need to book a meeting (laughs) and you know work with somebody because it's not just any one time here you go here's how to do a policy loan but it's the whole take back and redoing that whole system over and over again but to use it for different purposes, it's really important to make sure that you're talking with your advisor and your coach to make sure that you're learning all aspects of the, the entire IP process, not just the fun part of getting policy done. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I had a me- meeting with one of my clients yesterday now that I've been working with for just over a year, and <clears throat> he is now seeing things that he didn't see a year ago. So you're working with your coach and then you're getting more creative and then you're thinking of new ways that you can expand the system and apply the system. So it's an ever-changing, ever-evolving thing. That's why it's called a process. And Nelson was learning and teaching us this until, you know, God bless him until the day he passed, right? Yeah. Well, I, I absolutely love this conversation. I think there's a ton of value that we're providing to people here, especially giving them some context around different ways that people get exposed to this and they get started, the uniqueness of career paths as they shift and change in our life. And then additionally, you know, some things to be aware of when it comes time to actually implement and get started. And one thing that I think is really important, and I was thinking about this during our call, because of what you're doing, how you're helping people, all of the folks that, you know, Vern and I send you and other, other team members, you're doing applications, you know, lots of applications per week, helping people get new mm-hmm. policies, whether it's on themselves, a spouse, a business partner, child, grandchild, et cetera. Each and every one of those meetings leads to a high probability, very high probability of a policy being issued that is going to instantaneously create tax-free death benefit on a human being. 
And it's going to create a financial impact, a positive financial impact in every future day of that person's life. You're helping accomplish that objective. So to me, you're showing up as a hero every single day by helping people implement this process. So my question for you, Nifer, I'd love to just share with us, who do you most want to be a hero to? Oh, goodness. Are you going to make me cry today? There's an Oprah episode? What's going on? You get a car. You, know you get a I... car. Everybody gets a car. No. Sorry. You know what? I, maybe I'll kind of hit the answer to you in a little bit different way. When I'm doing an application with, say, your branch or a bird branch or anyone's branch, my objective is to make that process feel like it's not an insurance application <laughs> in, in a way. I actually feel like that's my time to get to know the client as another team member in this IBC family, right? So I my my greatest joy out of having applications is getting to actually know the people, talk to them, see how their day is going, what, you know, what are they doing for the weekend while we're also doing an application for insurance. These are people, you know, and they're great people and we're just building our family bigger and bigger. And I just got such a big uh, delight out of getting to know our, our clients. And, you know, some of them are like, I literally finish after 40 minutes and I'm like, that's the best friend I've made, <laughs> like, you know, in the last six months, you know, so it, it's kind of touching in that aspect and, and I appreciate that. So. Well, thank you for sharing that. I not the podcast you're working for, but it was a good one. It, it was definitely a good one. I, I concur. Yes. I'm, and I believe that uh, every, everyone else will agree as well. So thank you for that. Thanks for being with us today, Vern. Thanks for jumping in as co-host. I appreciate it. And for everyone listening and tuning in on the YouTubes, especially, make sure you take a look. There's going to be a list of some new videos popping up on the screen. Poof, just like that. So go ahead, continue your journey of learning. Lots of amazing, good content that's out there. Amazing podcast episodes. And uh, fill your bucket, fill your knowledge bucket with all kinds of good stuff about IBC. And we appreciate you for listening and tuning in. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.